You are listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. This computer has a vast memory capacity. This is not a computer simulation. Most unusual. Are we ready to release our new software? Yes, sir. As requested, it's full of bugs, which means people will be forced to upgrade for years. Outstanding. Good. You've covered all the bases. Computer status report. From this time forward, you will service us. My priorities seem to have changed. There's no news. Like bad news. Would you mind identifying what you are? into it, discussing computers and new technology. Tonight we're Cassie Wright, Dan Salmon and I'm Vanessa Taholka. Thanks for tuning in. Coming up later tonight we'll be getting into software-defined radio. What is that? We're all radio lovers here but what exactly is software-defined radio? Stay tuned to find out. We'll also be hearing about a range of great events coming up by the Centre for Games Design at RMIT so you'll want to hear about those. But before we get to that, it has been a wild news week. There's so much to cover. Dan, what caught your eye? Hey, um, yeah, very interesting news coming out of the automotive industry. Uh, interesting and a little bit scary. Um, uh, t- Fiat Chrysler has been working for the last uh, six months or so with a couple of uh, professional uh, security uh, guys, um, former NSA hacker Charlie Miller, who now uh, is uh, working out of Twitter, and IO Active researcher Chris Valasek, I hope I pronounced that correctly, um, have been working with Fiat Chrysler to... Uh, look into the issues that have been um, possibly presenting themselves with uh, the advent of connected cars. So uh, if you're driving a newish vehicle, chances are that it does have some kind of um, online connection, whether it be through uh, Wi-Fi, a wire, a wireless key or system, or, or some kind of you know 4G connection. Um, they did find that um, they were able to activate a number of uh, features, inessential features. Uh, let me uh, reiterate that. So things like turning the uh, radio on and off, the wipe, windscreen wipers. It is possible, apparently, to uh, stop the car entirely, but they, uh, because they did it as a test with someone driving it, they didn't actually do that. Uh, basically exposing a reasonably large uh, hole in the security systems of these autos. Um, so this is what um, critics of the Internet of Things have been worried about for quite a while, having essential safety systems connected to 
uh, to the internet, basically, yeah. and being in a hackable position. Absolutely. And, I mean, look, it's it's kind of the... the the thing that worries me about it is the fact that, I mean, like so many hacks and plugs, they get exploited and then you find something to fix it. And they have got a patch for this now. Uh, there, there, there are um, downloads and up- upgrades that you can do to your system if you drive one of these cars uh, that will close the hole. Uh, they, they're going to be publishing a, pa- a paper on it that is going to... Um, uh, identify the code that they used but mm. uh fiat chrysler have already uh, patched that over so there's there's so no, I think no this risk is why they've, they've gone for so much publicity because they actually want the awareness out there that some people are going to have to upgrade absolutely the software in their car true true and i mean look it, uh, not to because uh, i mean upgrading the car if you do drive one of these is a good thing to do but uh one thing that it can give you a little bit of uh cause for relief is the fact that they do need to know the IP address of the car in order to hack into it and every time you turn your car on the IP address changes yeah, so it's, it, I mean, it's it's very much an edge case scenario absolutely. however it's more the fact that this has happened and that people haven't done enough you know planning for this and thinking about this is a problem we shouldn't design it so that this is a possibility I guess we have to look at weighing up what have they been trying to achieve and make easier well, that's, that's left them with these doors open. Exactly. And I, and, I mean, it's just exactly like what you were saying, this kind of rush towards the Internet of Things. It's a great... It is great. Let's 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 not lie about it, you know. Um, you know, I, I enjoy having connected things in my home. But there are... For, for every benefit, you need to think about the drawbacks. Yeah, and, there are and checks and balances. Absolutely, and, and this is something that it seems like that they probably have been lacking somewhat and maybe <laughs> the, <laughs> just a little just bit. Just a little. And, um, yeah, look, if, if this, you know, causes people who are in the, in the positions to be creating these things to sit back and go, okay, we need, we need to actually think about it. Let's slow down. Absolutely. Yeah. The other thing is that um, for one of the fixes you have to download a piece of software off the internet, put it on a USB key, plug that USB into your car, and then fix it. So that's not the easiest kind of way. So in in some ways they're like, oh, we've tried to make these other things easier, but then looking after this and being a responsible owner is not easy, mm. and you think you might want to prioritise that a little bit more in the weighing up of, of these things? Absolutely. I mean, you, you're, all you've got to think about is the other number of people who can't be bothered downloading something onto the computer that is in their house that is connected. Yeah. Um, and then everything goes wrong and they wonder why did that happen um hopefully with you know your kids in the back seat of the car you might be a little bit more vigilant about (laughs) getting these things done yeah maybe maybe or hopefully most of us have those cars that don't have usb drives i can guarantee you my car does not have anything mine certainly does not (laughs) i I need to upgrade my stereo i mean let's face it it's it's pretty bad in there there's uh you only need triple r vanessa uh, you need you need to be able to tune into 102.7 that's that's true every now and again you need a little bit of abc in your life also um so that's that's the car <laughs> the car situation. Um, other news this week: Wikipedia founder Jimmy Wales is launching a social network and phone service <sighs> to make it easier to donate to charity. This is kind of interesting. It's it's fu- it's funny because I was just about to make a joke. I can't wait to join this and then completely forget about it. And then, <laughs> and then, and then you said and donate to charity. And now I feel horrible. I guess um, Wikipedia are, are pretty used to being in the position of um, asking for money Absolutely. because there they are, a not for profit, worldwide audience. And routinely, we get a little Jimmy face up on the pages saying, "Hey, have you considered donating to us? We're actually, you know, out there doing a service and we cost money to run." Mm, what happened only last week, I believe. 
believe. Yeah. Mm. So I think he's he's put himself out there and said, look, Twitter and Facebook are out there. They are money makers. They're there to. Uh, they're increasingly doing deals with news organisations and pushing things out. They've got ads, all these things. We're not like that. And um, let's have a look. Well, they want to be like Twitter, but better. Mm. better In preparation use. for this show, I actually signed up to Ooh. the site. Oh. Uh, and basically, my one concern is, although you're, what you said, Dan, completely correct. You know, oh, but you can donate to charity. From what I was seeing on my homepage, newsfeed type of things, following the people that they suggested for me to follow, none of my actual friends are on there, um, <laughs> was that... I'm worried that it's a lot of people running really great charities or social enterprises and asking for money and not enough of people who are going to give money. Well, I mean, lots of people have only just heard that this exists and we haven't even said the name yet. The People's Operator. The People's Operator. Mm. It's not that catchy. No, it's not. Or TPO, as, TPO. They, as, as they're abbreviated. All right. Um, TP, toilet paper. Okay. <laughs> TPO. To, to, no, I don't, I don't know. know. I don't there. know. Um, but look, it's it also um, it's, it's going to include or a phone uh, service as well. So you'll be able to sign up to uh, like a phone retailer and part of your bill will go towards charitable organisations Well, that's interesting. Um, If that saves them from calling me after I've donated and saying, oh, we've put you on our phone list because you donated to Mm, us once. Exactly. That might be a good deal. (laughs) I will pay you not to call me. I know. But the interesting thing is that Jimmy Wales is pitching this as a, yeah, we're going to donate to charity, but you don't need to pay any more money out of it. Um, Like, I'm just, from a basic cursory reading of what's going on, they're, they're kind of putting it in opposition to other enterprises that do a similar thing. Thing whereby part of their profits go towards um, not-for-profit or charity organisations, and but their products are more expensive. Yeah. So that, that's how he's positioning it as a marketing tool, I suppose. I'm, I'm very excited about the phone offerings, mm. the, the mobile offerings. Um, the website, I'm still a little bit... I, I want to see what happens with it, but I think the phone companies, I mean, what, what they're doing with them, what, what they're claiming to want to do is, okay, we'll donate 10% of your bill to charity, but you're only paying as much as you'd normally pay mm. uh, rather than paying an extra 10%. So it's like, oh, we get a saving that we're then donating. So it's like what the electricity companies are doing with green power, for yeah. example. Mm, yeah. And it, look, it's an innovative thing, particularly in the telecommunica- telecommunications space, because there aren't that many companies that are doing anything in that sense. So what region is this active in at the moment? Only the States? It's I, I believe the, it's only the States. I mm-hmm. think it was in the UK. Okay. okay. Um, but... Yeah, I'd, I'd really like to see it happening here. Yeah, no, um, I'm just reading here. It, it is based in the US. It's based on a UK model, though. Okay. Oh, yeah, there's a, okay. there's, there's a, um, a company called... Uh I actually can't see the name here, but there is a mobile phone service in the UK that does the, does do the charitable All thing. All right, so we'll watch this space Absolutely. and see how it goes. But I, I fear that the t- social network is probably going to go the way of Elo. Maybe. <laughs> Elo is still kicking on. I got an update today. They're adding new features. You can change things from horizontal to vertical data views. And well, Elo doesn't donate to charity. No, it doesn't. Maybe they should start. <laughs> I loathe to say it, but we should cover the Ashley Madison hack. This has been taken so much of my attention recently. (laughs) Why why so, Cassie? Not because I'm on Ashley Madison. Um, I do not have a spouse to cheat on. But um, (laughs) not saying that I would. (laughs) But basically, for those of you who have not yet been a... Appraised of, oh, they're not in the know of what's been happening. Um, the site Ashley Madison, which is basically a dating site for 
married people to have affairs, that's their main unique selling point, uh, has been hacked by people calling themselves the Impact Team who are demanding that uh, Ashley Madison needs to be shut down as well as one of their sibling sites, Established Men, which is where uh, established, like, men who have careers and lots of money can meet sexy, young, hot women. So um, these are very unappealing hacking victims we have here. Yeah. And uh, one of the best responses I saw to this on Twitter was that the Department of Poetic Justice was investigating. <laughs> <laughs> now... I think we really need to take the content out of the uh, the discussion here and say it's just like any other community uh, forum with uh, which charges for membership mm-hmm. that gets hacked and details get put out there. You want to ask questions about uh, what assurances were made to these people when they signed up and what's what's going on behind the scenes and you know were they transparent about the hack. Yeah, it's, the inter- oh, it's interesting that um that I mean a lot of other organisations with data sets like this have been targeted in the past, but the the object of it has never been kind of become so obvious. We like they want Ashley Madison to be shut down for whatever reason that is. Um, I fi- I find it it's an interesting kind of case study compared to the other uh, hacks that we've seen where uh, large amounts of data have been taken and then it's either just an exercise in testing can we do it or is it yeah yeah yeah, but i don't really think we can go and defend vigilantism and and think that it's okay to kind of grab people's personal details and credit cards and everything Mm. one of the main complaints is about ashley madison's so-called full delete feature where users can pay a 19 dollar fee to have uh, allegedly all of their data removed um, and what the hackers are saying is that this doesn't work and we're actually showing you names and credit card numbers and to prove that this to prove work. that it doesn't work yeah. so uh, not only are they saying look you're taking advantage of people mm. but we're going to shame the very people that you've taken advantage of uh, allegedly yeah so I mean, it's it's very complicated, and I know a lot of people they're they're delighting in like, oh, but they were cheaters anyway. Um, there are there is a previous employee of Ashley Madison who has done a Reddit AMA, and who said that employees got constant uh, death threats or um, stuff from jilted wives or wives who have found out or also um right-wing religious nuts who were saying you know what what you're doing is immoral um and she said that generally it was a good company to work for they took all the threats seriously uh she thinks that there's been a, a full delete option so they're, they're debating um the company itself avid life media who owns these sites um has come out and said, look, the full delete thing works. The only thing that doesn't work is people make multiple accounts and we have their details from other accounts. So there's different things happening. But I think if you put it into the perspective of if you have a behaviour that might be disgusting to other people, do you deserve to be shamed for it? Do you deserve to be exploited? Exactly. Mm. That, there's that issue. Um, I mean, I think the company is reprehensible in terms of their business model and, you know, how can I can't get on board with values like that. But these people shouldn't be hacked. You know, it's against the law for a reason. It's bad. Also bad is the fact that they haven't protected their users' details well enough and that they were hackable. Uh, 
The issue of keeping um, their their details is a fraught one because, uh, as I understand it, in the jurisdictions they operate in, there are regulatory financial reasons why they'd have to keep certain bits of data. So it's kind of not okay to make that sort of assurance to your consumers and say that you would get rid of everything when legally you have to keep some of those records for, say, up to seven years or whatever it might be. There are also places in the US where adultery is still illegal mm. um, in certain ways so i mean it's it's a very it's a very complicated yeah. case yeah um it also when you're paying for a service you want there to be a little bit more uh a little bit more security than craigslist for example so. <laughs> well it's a shame that people's trust was broken on a site about people's trust being broken uh it's 719 on triple r <laughs> you're with bite into it do stay tuned we'll be talking about software defined radio up next You are listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. You're back with Triple R's Bite Into It, discussing computing and technology with Cassie and Dan and Vanessa. Thanks for tuning in. We've just been joined in studio by Gareth Hayes. He's the man behind a $100,000 raising Indiegogo campaign to uh, fund development into software-defined radio, and he's here to tell us all about what it is. Welcome, Gareth. Hi, thanks for having me. It's our pleasure. Now, we are radio lovers here, but um, I must say that until about a month ago, software-defined radio was a new concept to me. Can you um, explain to our listeners and to me what is software-defined radio? Uh, well, software-defined radio is essentially, um, if you think of a, the easiest way to explain it is using an analogy with a sound card, which um, a sound card basically uh, lets your computer access the audio spectrum, so with a microphone and a speaker. And uh, software-defined radio is a device that lets your computer access the radio spectrum in the same way. So, uh, sorry, that was just really loud. Um, uh, So you have, in the past, say, if you wanted to grab some radio waves out of the air, you might get a little breadboard together and and plug some things in and get a receiver going and, and pull radio waves out of the air and kind of listen to them for fun. But you're talking about in sort of replacing some of the hardware in this scenario with um, with software to try and choose those frequencies? Uh, okay, well, basically, uh, in a normal radio system, uh, just any, you think of any any radio system, um, it's using it's using um, hardware. So, if for example, any, anyone listening to this right now, their radio is using a whole lot of, of different uh, devices uh, on a circuit board to receive the signal and then um, demodulate the signal and then and put it through a, a speaker uh, so they can listen to it. So all of those intermediary parts are between the antenna and the speaker. Uh, you can now do that in software. Mm, okay, so this is starting to make more sense. So that's kind of exciting. So a, a box, say, would a, a regular... Um, audio radio box might uh, let us tap into, say, AM and FM bands, and it would limit us to that. You're looking at all different sorts of radio waves here, like a, a massive set of the radio spectrum. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, so the device that that um, I'm using is uh, the HackRF, which is uh, from 0 to 6 gigahertz. So um, FM radio is... Um, Around uh, one, uh, around eighty-eight to one hundred eight megahertz. So that's um, uh, this is a very small section of the um, of the spectrum. Uh, AM is further down on the spectrum, um, but basically, any 
any radio device you use will be somewhere along the electromagnetic spectrum. And um, the idea of software-defined radio is to give you access to essentially a- any part of the spectrum, not just limit it to um, a specific a specific area. So I think the easiest way probably for us to understand this more is to look at some of the practical applications. And when I looked at this, I was stunned at the breadth of those um, let's say something like an RFID tag. If you wanted to engage with those, how might you use something like the Hack RF to to work with them? Have you seen any examples of that? Yes, uh, I've used um, the Hack RF with uh, RFID tags. Um, uh, for example, the um, Mickey card in Melbourne. Mm. Um, Mikey, you Mikey. Have to I, I'm, I live in I live in Hong Kong, and I'm I'm, a, I'm from from Australia, but I'm I'm not up to date with what's going on. So, uh, so the Mikey card in Melbourne, uh, that's uh, basically an RFID card. Um, so you can you can use an antenna that's designed for that frequency, and uh, pick up the data packets uh, when you are when, when you're reading one of those cards. Um, so you could work with a whole lot of other cards. You could you, you could use up you could use and, anything um, yeah. and any card. So those um, pay Visa, PayWave, and all those sort of things they're all accessible. Um, and that's at the low end of the spectrum. Then then you go through and there's just basically anything you can think of that uses radio. Um, okay. So what I didn't completely understand was there was an example there about how you might use this technology to um, to do radar. Yes, um, so what you could do, um, uh, this hasn't been done with, with this particular device, it's been done with some, other, with some similar devices, mm-hmm. um, and it's com- completely, um, um, it's, it's not, not difficult to do it with this device. Uh, essentially, um, there's two ways to do it. Uh, the easiest way is uh, any transmitter, so this tra- the, the transmitter we're using to transmit this radio station, um, that's transmitting from one point, mm-hmm. um, and then if you pick if that that those radio waves bounce off buildings or aircraft or cars or anything, so if you can pick up the original transmission and the bounce transmission and compare the time, you can see how far away the thing is that it bounced off. And if you monitor that uh, constantly, you can see if it's moving. So you don't even need. So that's the same way echolocation It's, it's sort of echolocation, but yeah. you don't even need to send out the original signal. You, you can piggyback on any other signal. Other signals. And, uh, or you can use two devices in tandem and one sends out the signal and, and another one picks up the returning signal. Wow. Is there any scope for powering um, what you're talking about uh, with, with radio waves? I've, I've seen some experiments with small... Uh, oh, with the uh, items that require tiny amounts of energy, powering themselves with, with radio waves. Is there is there any crossover with what you're doing in that sp- side of things? Yes, there is. Um, in a, in a way, there is. Uh, there's uh, so recently uh, the Snowden leaks uh, contained some information about the uh, some devices the NSA is using, which are actually quite simple. Um, essentially, it's it's sort of like a radar as well in that it. You um you illum- illuminate it. If you think of radio waves like a flashlight, and uh, illuminate um, one of these devices, you can see the reflection of that. And yeah, how do I explain? This is mind blowing. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so if you if you change the length of an antenna, the reflected signal changes. Mm-hmm. So, what you can do is uh, have a little transistor. On, the, on an antenna, essentially, and then uh, put a microphone on that, and um, 
that would that will essentially change the length of the antenna. It's a little bit it's a little bit hard to explain over radio, but yeah. So <laughs> that's ironic. So that's uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, in, in a short answer, yeah, it's totally related. Um, so there's an open source community that's that's jumped up around um, developing software radio, uh, software defined radio type of applications. And uh, there's, you know, you've jumped into the space. What do you find so exciting about it? Uh, what I find most exciting is just the fact that you can build radios in software. So any anyone who can code can now design. Uh, radio protocols to transmit data uh, over radio or, or whatever they want to do. They can now build radios. So what sort of regulatory environment do you have to be aware of when you're when you're suddenly going, oh, I'm just going to software define a radio here? Because uh, I know that radio broadcast has a whole lot of rules about it. Okay, well, there are... Every country has their own regulations and uh, it's, it's up to the, the user to, uh, to check that out. And um, essentially... If you're broke, I mean, in reality, just don't transmit with too much power, and it's usually okay. <laughs> yep, that's uh, that's good advice. So those regulatory controls, do they? So you're talking about broadcast strength. That's something that's covered. What about um, the bands that you use? Do there tend to be bands that are okay to play with, and bands that are verboten? Yes, there are ISM bands which are totally open. Um, okay. And uh, although they are uh, limited, to, you have to, you can't just blast out how, how much power you want. But they're open; you can do whatever you want with them. Um, and then there are bands that are protected. Right. Um, but if you're transmitting at a very low power level, no one's going to hear what you're transmitting, or no one's going to detect that you're transmitting it anyway. So, I mean, it, so it's technically this, illegal. Could this be the new pirate radio? I would say it's more. Uh, yeah, not really. Not really. No, no, for no that. one. Yeah. 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 Would it if you're using it to receive things like you know if you were listening into radio frequency spectrum? Is there the pos- like possibility because you know there's stuff coming from all around the universe, so you can listen to radio frequencies that are coming from well, satellites, satellites yeah. or stars or anything like that? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so actually, just the other day, um, I was listening to this space station when they they were passed over Australia. So um, I had to listen to that. And um, uh, did you hear anything of note? Not, not really. It was, it was pretty boring. <laughs> They're um, like, oh, the sun's rising again. <laughs> again. Look, aurora. <laughs> That'd be so cool. Yeah. On the same kind of track. Uh, is there a possibility of accidentally tapping into things that you shouldn't tap into, like, I don't know, mobile phone conversations or anything like that, or are they encoded so that you can't actually pick up on them? They are encoded. Um, however, um, you can... Uh, so, so the original GSM um, specifications, uh, that system is, is totally... That's open. I mean, that's not open. It, that's um, been cracked. Uh, that That's trivial too. So if you're using an old phone, like an old Nokia... Um, that's very easy to, to listen to your conversations and read your SMSs. That's that's not difficult. The uh, 2G and then 3G and 4G, that's progressive, progressively more difficult. Uh, though it's... Uh, I don't think... I don't think anyone has done 4G, mm. but the other one... Yeah, there's definitely headway into the into 3G and 2G. Uh, I wouldn't worry. It's nothing something to worry about, though. I mean, it's very... It's, it, it, if it was... 
if it wasn't very, very, very difficult, it would have been done already. So, right. Yeah. Um, the last thing I want to ask you about is, have you used this technology to control a drone? Uh, I haven't used it, used it to control a drone, um, just because I, I don't have a drone. Uh, <laughs> if <laughs> I had you, one, I would. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and could you feasibly use it to control somebody else's drone? Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, you, I mean, that, that's all very easy. You just need to, because the transmitters just send out a signal to the drone, uh, so you just listen to what the signal is and, and then basically replay it back, and then that, that's all it oh is. Oh, my God, it's, that's like phone freaking a drone. Yes, absolutely. And drone freaking. This you is can great. Also, um, <laughs> yes. uh, I do I not encourage anybody to break any rules or whatever, <laughs> but... I'm just saying if I was a kid, uh, I used to make, make radios and now I'd be making software-defined radios and I'd probably be trying to hack drones. The more fun thing is, is making people's doorbells ring. <laughs> <laughs> really? Okay. Well, you've given us lots of food for thought. I think we'll have to send people away to um, check out your uh, really simple explanation of software-defined radio that you've put up on YouTube, which is fantastic. Gareth, thanks so much for unpacking that for us this evening. Thanks. You're with Bite Into It, and uh, coming up, we're going to be speaking to Bianca Valentine. You are listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. You're with Bite Into It with Cassie, Dan and Vanessa talking computers and technology as we always do. Thanks for tuning in. We've just been joined by Bianca Valentine. She's from the Centre for Games Design Research and they have so many events coming up that we just needed to get somebody in to, to talk about all of them for us and spoil you guys with the with the things that you might be able to go to. Welcome, Bianca. Thank you. Thanks for having me in tonight. It's an absolute pleasure. Now, uh, we're always pretty excited when we see your event events coming up on the calendar because, you know, so often um, they unpack games and the future of games in ways that blow our minds. What's coming up for you guys? Okay. So this is actually part of a broader festival called Design for Impact Festival presented by the RMIT Design Research Institute. But if you just Google RMIT Design for Impact Festival, it'll all come up. And there's 40 events in the program. It runs for two weeks. Um, It's part of the Matterfat exhibition that is opening tomorrow night and it's it's about smart, smart flexibility, advanced technology and materials and it's brought out from Barcelona. So it's a pretty exciting exhibition and then we've also got Melbourne Open House on the weekend so it's part of a really huge thing but I won't talk to you about that you can you can google <laughs> I think um, open house has had a fair bit of coverage yeah today. yeah they Simon, have yeah Simon Knott was on breakfasters this morning and yep. yeah okay they're, they're all over it so <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to talk about the game center and the kind of games activities that we're going to present we've got five in the lineup um to contextualize it the RMIT center for game design research was formalized late last year and it was an idea to bring together all the high level um high degree by research um, notes. So it's like six areas of research. One was artificial intelligence, so robots. One's about wearables. One's about gamification and automotive and um, experimental design. Um, another one's about physical games. So it pretty much brings all things games under the one umbrella. We're going by a strength in numbers approach. <laughs> um, so part of the festival, we are putting on 
four key events, and the first one's on Tuesday, and it's called Brainwave Symposium, and it's all about neuroscience, so it's art, science, and the mind, and games. So it is wild. It has a massive lineup that is super. Um, so Bianca, is it going to tell us when our minds will be controlling games instead of our little Wii controllers or our our kind of handheld thingies? Ah, oh, I don't know. I don't. I don't think they're going to touch on any of that kind of thing. But what they're talking about is rehabilitation in games, wow. and so it's really like it's a really great medical kind of focused mm. or health health sector kind of focused thing. Yeah. So we've got some key people. So we've got Vicky Sarrow from Australian Network for Art and Technology. She's our keynote. So she's going to be talking about the Synapse Initiative that brings scientists and artists together. Um, she's our keynote. So she'll be addressing a lot of issues around health and wellness and art and games. Mm. Um, we've got interactive projects for rehabilitation. So Jonathan Duckworth is actually one of the leads on that. He's just come back from Sona in Barcelona. That's incredible. Yeah, and he um, he presented the resonance table, which is a it's an upper body rehab table, and it's looking at um, how do you, you know, people that have had brain trauma, how do we fix them by, you know, playing with light connections yeah Yeah. light music and so that's a really great one so he's actually got a few people that are you know collaborators with him like peter wilson james hullick who's a composer and sound producer and he's actually got an event that night um at the recital center so that's you know it's a really good pull Mm -hmm. Uh, we've got trish adams from she's an arts and arts researcher from here now so she's looking at how do you um how do you regenerate hearing um, and create awareness through, you know, games. Um, Jane Sewell is Communications and Education Manager at the Hearing CRC, so she'll be coming as well. So she'll be kind of talking about the engagement strategies and the programs. Um, Karen Kynenbergs, I don't know if you've ever heard of her before, but she was she was employed by a big company to look at how um, games and memory can, you know, work. And I think she's going to be very exciting because... I don't think you'll expect the answers that she will produce. Excellent, because so we'd like see to see some some debunking of some of those those uh, little games for your phones that maybe keep our brains active or promise to. Or promise to, yeah. yeah. And I think that's the key here is that um, a lot of these guys will actually be talking about what is it the project that they did? What did they, you know, what did they discover? Who did they work with in the science and arts and tech field? What was the kind of journey that they went along? And then what were the kind of impacts that they created? And what what kind of things did they learn? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the real focus of this. And it, it's symposium. an area that's moving so fast that we really do need to tap into the most recent research. Mm. Yeah. Lots of people are really concerned about you know things themselves or stuff for their loved ones, especially when you're dealing with Alzheimer's patients or yeah. um, mental illness or you know even physical stimulation through games. So it'll be it'll be really great to unpack mm. some of those things. So Alzheimer's Australia are also coming down. So we've got Tanya coming down to talk about the Carers app that they designed. So that'll be really great. I'll continue on. So that's Tuesday. Starts at 9 o'clock. You've got to register. Go to the Game Centre website. Pull it up. Do your thing. The next one is on Wednesday, and it's called the BYO Design Challenge. And it's held um, at the Channel, which is a really great new venue. I don't know if you've been there, but that'll be great. Um, It's hosted by G-Lab, so Stefan Waltz and... Pete from Deloitte will be running that workshop and it's all about 
um, business ideation and brainstorming. Mm. If you've ever been in the room with Stefan Waltz, you'll understand that this is like wacky. We had him on the show yeah, yeah. quite a, a little while ago and he was amazing. Yeah. R- ridiculous and absurd is totally fine in this kind of <laughs> workshop. So if you've got a, you know, a business challenge that you want to, you know, tease out through gamification, go down and, you know, be part of that. There's only 30 places. So again, register, you know, we'll give you lunch, keep you in the room. Um, the following night, Stefan's actually also promoting his Game for World book launch, and this is a gamification book which I believe he talked about on the program mm-hmm. previously. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's going to be a really fun night. So it's going to be held at the RMIT Design Hub. Um, they're talking about play games and gamification impacts for citizens. So, you know, how's it infiltrating the world in general and organisations? Um, Mark Pesh, who is a futurist inventor and book author, is coming down from Sydney. He's wonderful. If you're not following him already, you should really be uh, chasing him up on Twitter because, yeah, talking about Internet of Things, if you want a sane voice in that space, he's amazing. Hmm. So it's going to be a conversation series between um, Mark, Pete Williams, Yussi Holopainen, who is the co-director of the G-Lab Europe, um, and Sebastian Dieterding and Stefan Walt. So it's also going to be um, chaired by Amelia King from Creative Victoria. So it's going to be a really good lineup and lots of fun. That's on Thursday night, 6 to 8 p.m. And then to finalise, we have the Game Centre launch because we're new, so we're having kind of a party. And you know, so if you re- didn't know that they existed, don't feel too bad. Yeah, You've yeah. still caught the wave. You're, you're still on the ride. It's okay. <laughs> um, so basically, it'll be you know. A few speeches, but also uh, it'll be a showcase of some of the the design work that we're doing at the Design Hub on games and game design. So there'll be a bit of an exhibition component. Um, And that is on Tuesday, the 4th of August. That's wonderful. Um, I like the way that you seem to have uh, created a whole range of events that have appealed to a whole lot of different audiences. As as, uh, someone who works at your centre, do you target uh, different audiences intentionally or do you have a particular mission where you're out to just focus on the university sector? I've got a broad mantra. Um, I think it's really important that we unpack what games is and could be for everybody. I think, you know, I don't want people thinking that I go to work and play the Xbox because I think (laughs) that's what most of my friends think I do, um, which is fine. They can think that. But... um, I think games actually have, like, real-world solutions. I think we're actually doing some really great research, like all the kind of target areas of medical, science, art, um, tech, like all those things are very important in daily life. So I think it's a really good opportunity. Yeah, I mean, it was great when you just mentioned um, right at the the top of the piece about the different areas that the the centre researches. It has applications directly into all of these other digital trends at the moment, when we're talking about the Internet of Things, when we're talking about social networking, uh, when we're talking about um, equity of access to things and usability, uh, it just taps into all these vital type of issues. Thanks so much for bringing those in. Um, could you leave us with that website again where people can uh, have a look at this, this program all for themselves? Sure. You can go to www.gamedesignresearch.net. Thanks so much, Bianca. We'll be back in a moment. You are listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. Bite into it for the last bit with Dan, Cassie and Vanessa. I hope you've been enjoying the show, or if you've just joined us, you're in good time to catch our weird news of the week. Uh, now, this is this is a little Google thingy that um, I haven't <laughs> opened. 
So Dan, <laughs> essentially, um, Google. If if you're using Google now on your phone, uh, you're likely to be aware that Google tracks your location to give you sort of information about you know restaurants nearby or yeah. things like that. What you might not realise is, uh, and I am quoting from uh, an article here, that how much of the data Google actually has on you. So um, basically, it's they've got a new feature called Your Timeline, which is a, a little bit disturbing. I've not used it myself, but um, it, it essentially tells you where you've been and what times. Um, how do you guys feel about Google being able to do that? I mean, not that they haven't always been able to do it, but they're making it quite overt now. I think it's good that we know that they can do it and that people think about it a little bit more. And it's been making me laugh lately. There's a new show on TV that, that my Twitter followers alerted me to because they all started tweeting about something cyber. And uh, it's a CSI series, so I think CSI, CSI cyber. cyber. I have heard of this. And uh, the dude from Dawson's Creek in it. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> Dawson? Okay, all right, all right. Okay. Not no. Casey. <laughs> it's tragic that we know that. Anyhow, and <laughs> and and that show, uh, I think, uh, seems to have two purposes. One, to reassure you that uh, law enforcement are out there watching your back and that they're on top of this new technology stuff. And the other purpose seems to be to put uh, some information out there about how much data is being collected about you these days and they're doing that quite successfully just to make us all a little bit more vigilant about it i'm not sure how reassured i feel by the and and some of the some of the visualizations of technology working are pretty laughable but uh, i'm really glad that people drew my attention to it so thank you have they got like gigantic screens with all the whole lot of scrolling green text across it and that kind of thing it's just if you think of the way that csi normally does medical investigations like we had a look at this photo and we zoomed in one million times and it's still clear enhanced yeah, and yeah. just yeah. for an old Blade Runner reference for the rest of us. <laughs> uh, just bring that to technology and, and you're set. Okay. So this Google article um, shows that uh, they can put your timeline on their Google Maps and you can turn off the ability for Google to be able to do this. Well, not really their ability to do it, but whether it, it whether gets done. Whether you want to know about it or not. Yeah, whether it gets done. Mm. So it's really more about just knowing that, hey, check your Google settings, make sure that you've you set up your privacy quite strongly i'm more worried about people who aren't as savvy uh who aren't checking their settings and then other people who can access their phone having a look at everywhere they've been so say you're not quite sure about your boyfriend's whereabouts he said he was at the office at seven and then you open up ashley madison on his computer (laughs) (laughs) so you check his phone and you see that he was actually somewhere else see in all these cases i think you've got bigger problems than technology yeah 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 so yeah that's like right. the real enemy <laughs> yourself <laughs> no but I, uh. yeah but i think we should get back to um csi cyber sometime we should we should check in on an episode and uh, and see how they go with tracking review. technology mm, yeah absolutely i saw something the other night where they were using the gyroscopes inside the people's phones and they and they proposed a situation where two people had the phones on them and uh they were looking at the movement of these two people in a space and they projected a quite a slightly i think unrealistic uh mock-up in wireframe of two people wrestling and where the phones were on their bodies at this time and 
while yes you could figure out where people were in a room and and heights and and momentum and things with what's inside a phone you probably couldn't figure out where their little finger was if it wasn't holding the phone at the time and also where the phone was on their body so that i think uh they can be putting some helpful messages out there in that okay yes your phone's picking up these different types of data but then they take a leap too far and um, project a, a type of intelligence onto onto the devices that they don't have or a sophistication a detail and uh, and that can be quite misleading i mean most people aren't wearing uh, smart glasses, a smart hat, <laughs> a smart watch, smart clothing, a smart ankle brace. Um, so, yeah, it'd be interesting to have people in here dissecting yeah. some of these. I'm really lucky that my ankle brace lets me come into studio. <laughs> yeah. Good behaviour, guys. This is this is community service. No. <laughs> oh, we don't want you to be so, one of the criminals. You know, they were you on CSI Cyber, weren't they? That's why you don't this want to This is why I'm it. so conflicted, Yeah. <laughs> I think we should get on to some events this week, Dan. We, sh- we should. Um, Invato are holding a um, a bit of a talk uh, t- tomorrow night uh, at 6pm, uh, uh, learning how to build an engaged community for any business. So if you're looking to um, you know, b- broaden your reach and, and get involved with the community through your business, um, jump on there. We're, uh, we will be tweeting a link out to it. It's a free event, but you do need to register. So, um, yeah, it should be really interesting stuff. Yeah. Uh, Cassie, have you, have you checked? out anything this week? Uh, well, there is the Laneway Learning Blogging for Beginners, uh, which is if you've just tuned in and you're like, what is the internet? Uh, no, it's what not. What is this blog? <laughs> it's not that simple, but maybe you've uh, you've been introduced to blogs, but you're just wondering how you can actually get on it, what know-how you need and how you can build a successful audience. If anyone's still using MySpace for their blog exactly. or moved on. <laughs> um, that's on the 4th of August from 6.30 to 7.45 at Embiggen Books. Um, and you can check that out at melbourne.lanewaylearning.com. You can have a look around there. Nice. Uh, something that caught my eye was RMIT are partnering with AUC to host Australia's longest-running conference for OSX and iOS developers and designers, DevWorld. So you've probably heard of DevWorld before. We've spoken about it before. Mm-hmm. But the partnership's kind of new. Uh, this year it's running from the 31st of August to the 1st of September. And its uh, speakers include Nick Witteson from Canva, Josh Deprez from Google, Everyone's heard of Josh. Um, Judith Klein from Cactus Lab and Stephanie Sharp from ODC. Uh, the reason we're telling you now is that you're still able to get early birds, uh, which are available until the 3rd of August. Um, student tickets are only 100 bucks, so do suss that out. Early birds are 400 regulars are 550 so if you're considering it, time to get now. in action. Yeah, We'd like to say a big thank you to our guest this evening, Gareth Hayes, a, uh, a wonder mind who can wrap his head around software to find radio, and uh, Bianca Valentine from the Centre for Games Design Research. I think there's so many opportunities out there for us to uh, learn about these technologies that are starting to affect our lives in really interesting ways. <laughs> you know, we, we kept being promised all these internet watches and now they're here. We're only waiting on the hoverboards. Um, it's only a matter of time. It's a matter of time. Thanks for tuning in this evening. <laughs> Have a good evening and good night. See you guys.
You have been listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. For more podcasts, information about upcoming events and our live stream, please visit our website at rrr.org.au. 